Good morning. My name is Greg. Like Jason said, Greg Hook, my wife was here, but she's not anymore because she's not that committed. Um, and I get that. It's okay. I'm not making fun of her. That's, she's just a normal person. Um, <clears throat> guys, I did not know that I was a stained glass person, but can you feel what's happening behind me right now? I mean, this is going off right now. This, this window, oh my gosh. I feel like the Virgin Mary right now. I'm like, <laughs> except I'd rather be Joseph, honestly. Um, and that's appropriate. So um, I love that we occupy a space that has historically had a body of believers um, gathering and rejoicing, being exhorted, sharpened, and then going back out like fertilizer. Because Christians always stink when they clump together. They're best when you spread them out. Um, it's a joke. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I love that we occupy this space and that we deal with, you know, the crampedness, the fact that the, the balcony is so steep that if you trip, you're, you're going over. You are literally going to land in someone's lap. And that when new people come, you got to scooch over and make a friend. I, I just love that. Love this church. So I'm glad to be here. Um, I work with Young Life here in town, um, which kind of just makes me kind of like an unofficial, undocumented, no, no degrees pastor. Because um, I equip, with, with, with the team that I serve on, we equip adults and young adults to spend time with Jesus and then to like explode out of that space back into the fields of adolescence and to make disciples. Um, that's what I do. So this is a great passage of scripture for what we're going to get into. But before we get into that, I just want to say a word about Advent. Because next Sunday marks the start of Advent. Which is something I have missed like always in my life. Because I never went to like a high church or, my, my wife, or, or fancy church. I always thought my wife's church was fancy. When we got married in her church, which was just Presbyterian, I moved this table because it was in the way. <clears throat> well, that was a big deal. Um, and I got in a big fight with the pastor about it. <laughs> and I won because I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Um, just kidding. I, mean, that's, I did win. But um, Advent. Advent. It's weird doing this twice. I just want to be very honest. Advent. Um, Four-week season in the church calendar before Christmas that is not associated with Christmas, but it always like, it feels like it is. And I didn't know that. I always thought that Advent was about like getting ready to receive baby Jesus, which felt weird to me because I was like, that already happened. That's like, you, we're going to celebrate your sixth birthday again, Greg. And I'm like, why? Like, I know. Like that. So I always misunderstood what Advent was about. Um, and this year, I'm coming into it differently. Um, the fourth and fifth century believers, so think four or five hundred years after Jesus, they looked at Advent, those four weeks before, four Sundays before Christmas, as a season of training to prepare and, and stir themselves with a readiness and a vigilance, he will return. Not he came and we're going to remember that, but like he will return. Training for that. So that at the Feast of Epiphany, which happens in January, when they would be baptized, it was like they knew that they had an Ironman or a half marathon coming and they had worked to get ready to enter into it well. Um, and we're going to talk about training today. And so that just landed on me. I was at an Advent retreat just a few days ago, and it landed on me that the timing of this message and the timing of the season we're coming into is, it feels a little bit um, appointed for us. So there's that. Um, I also love Thanksgiving because when, neurologically, if you cultivate gratitude and thankfulness, you cannot be anxious because anxiety and gratitude travel, and are, those, those feelings are sent along the exact same neural pathways, and they're not two-way streets. So when you think about um, the scriptures and the Holy Spirit prompting writers to say, be grateful always, I say it again, give thanks always, that invitation is also leaving something behind. Anxiety, worry. So I love this season, I hate Black Friday. Um, I hate Black Friday. Um, the perfect name for it, though, it is a scourge. 
Um, and so I love that. And, and when you practice gratitude, you also neurologically prepare your brain to receive joy. And that's why Jason says things like the commands of God are not burdensome. Because when you play them out and watch the fruit of what happens versus the fruit of, um, I'll do it my way, there's no comparison. And we're going to talk about some of that today. Um, so, Advent training. Thanksgiving, love it. Christmas, right? I don't even have to talk about that. So, we all love Christmas. It's going to be great. We are in the letter to Timothy. It's the first one, so it's First Timothy. That's where we've been. But if you don't go to church every week, or even every two weeks, or even every three weeks, which sometimes happens to the Hook family, then you might need just a little, just a quick recap, like what's happening in this letter? Why are we reading a letter? I'm going to bring you up to speed with it quickly. I have no slides for this. And so if you choose to record, you will not lose the record. Something I meant to say in the first service. Um, it's not because I'm about to say awesome stuff. It's just because you're not as sharp as you think you are, and neither am I. And I have weird notes up here because I, over the past few weeks, I just try and record the things that the Lord is saying for myself and for you. Because I'm not sharp enough to just hold the record in my mind. But here is what Timothy is about. Paul meets Timothy in the city of Lystra. You can read what happens there in Acts chapter 14 and 16. It is bananas. He shows up, does some amazing stuff. People are like, oh my God, the gods are here. It's Zeus. And I think it's Hermes that they think is the other one. And they're like, this is bananas. But they're speaking a language that the guys don't understand. They're like, what's happening? Wow, these people are really responding to the gospel. But they weren't. So then Paul and his companions are like, oh my gosh, they're trying to worship us. They rip their clothes, which is what you do when people try and worship you. Unless it's like a rap video. And then that's like what they, no, not a rap video, like a, like a rock, everybody rips their clothes. But they're ripping their clothes like, please don't do this, and whatever. Then it turns on them and they get stoned to death. Paul gets stoned to death. Just like that. I mean, it really, you're like, whoa, that happens. But then the believers like gather around him and they pray, out, they pray over him outside of the city. And he's like, oh. And he's like, I'm okay. And I have no idea how okay he is. It's not clear. It's not like he's like, we don't know if he's like, boom, I'm back. Or if he's like, oh, wow. Like, I was knocked out by a rock. Thanks for praying on me. But comes back into the city. That's Timothy's like a part of all that at some level of distance that we don't know about. But his mom, Eunice, his grandma, believers, they come to, they come to Christ through and as they're listening to Paul. Timothy, Paul's like, you're, you're like a baller. I'm taking you with me. So he takes him with him, which is like a great thing to do. Um, he disciples him for several years. Then after that period, he sends him on mission to Ephesus to deal with and shut down some false teachers and some drifting in the church. That's 1 Timothy. So he talks to him. Blah, 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 this is what I need you to do. I'm Paul. I'm awesome. Blah, blah, blah. You're young. You're like going to be scared now because I'm actually making you do this. And he's like, oh, my God. He's like, no, you are going to do this. So he goes, and then he's like, you know what? That guy's going to need a letter. <laughs> so he follows it up with like a letter and some encouragement. Here's how the letter goes. Here's how the letter goes. He goes, Paul goes, here's what you got to do. So it's what you got to do, how you're going to do it, why I want you to do this, grace and peace be with you. That's how it goes. So here's what you got to do. I need you to confront the corrupt teachers and show how their teaching is distorted. Timothy's <laughs> like, sick. Because um, me and you, Paul, we both have the Bible memorized. Except not me, Timothy. But, and he goes, here's how you're going to do that. I want you to start regular church prayer for the government leaders and for peace. Nero was the emperor of Rome at that time. Just think about that for a second. I'm pretty sure he's the one who would light Christians on fire in his gardens. No, is that somebody else? That's somebody else. Somebody else. Somebody's murmuring. Somebody historically is murmuring. Somebody, Nero's terrible. Nero's terrible. But I, don't quote me on the lighting Christians on fire. That was somebody, but I don't think it was Nero. Pray for Nero. Let's start this whole thing by praying for peace and government leaders. Then he goes, you got some guys who are arguing about false teachers and all this kind of stuff. I want you to grab them, shut that down, teach them to pray. So he's like, your prayer team is these argumentative dudes. He's like, you know what I want you guys to do? Prayer closet. Um, He's like, you have some wealthy ladies who are really looking fancy at church. Shut that down. They're also teaching. Shut that down. So Timothy's like, okay, that's enough. He's like, no, appoint some leaders also. 
Look for some dads who are doing a pretty good job with their families. If they're doing a pretty good job with their families, they'll probably do a pretty good job in the church, more or less allegedly. And then he goes, I need you to correct some bad and drifting theology, specifically around marriage, which is fine. And he's like, around food, which is fine. That's what Jason talked about last week. We're coming in right between this. But then he goes, also, I want you to restructure the support, pro- the support program for widows. I want you to restructure the support program for widows, Timo. Tim, Tim, I'm just like, he's like, I have a lot to do. <laughs> also, you got some older men who are problematic. I want you to deal with them respectfully. And then he goes, also, I have some counsel that I want you to deliver to Christians who are in slavery. No big deal. Just talk to the guys who are in slavery who are Christians. Lastly, here's why you have corrupt teachers in your midst. It's because they're greedy and they have a desire for wealth. Blast them. And to the wealthy in the congregation, I have something I'd like to say. Grace and peace be with you. The end. And that's, and if you're Timothy, you're like, I am, a, I am radically under-equipped for this. Um, what Paul is doing through Timothy is he is engaging a church and their belief. Because what a church believes um, will shape and does shape how it lives. What a church believes, oh man, what a church believes, sorry, got it, what a church believes will and does shape how it lives. Um, And he's saying about their belief, you have to protect, refine, and critique your belief. It's not just a, I believed it, I'm good. It's protect it, refine it, critique it, adjust it. And then he goes about our lives will shape how we live. He goes, you need to assess how you're living, scrutinize it even. Um, Another way of thinking about that is that our behaviors are an outflow of our beliefs. Similarly, the speech that we use is an indicator of the spirit that we're about. So these are just ways of, of assessing or scrutiny. So he's giving them these really good practical tools for a church body. There are three Jesus bombs, bombs, in the text that are awesome, and there are three trustworthy sayings in the text. We're going to deal with one of the trustworthy sayings. Um, But that is where we're going, so if you haven't been here, welcome. You are all caught up. Um, Our text for today is 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're starting in verse 6, and we're going through 16, but we're going to focus on two verses. So I'm going to read us through this. Because that is what Jason told me to do, but I'm only going to preach on two verses, which I have the freedom to do um, as a Jesus follower. Um, Verse 6 is referencing, however, what Jason taught on last week. So you go, I wasn't here. Well, what it's talking about is how if you receive something with thanksgiving, it's consecrated. So then he basically jumps right into it. So if you point these things out, Timo, to the brothers... You'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, brought up in the truth of the face and of the good teaching that you've followed. So if you point out these things that I was just talking to you about, you're doing good. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Because physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. We're going to come back to that. that we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to nail that. And then he goes, this is a trustworthy saying. The thing I just said is a trustworthy saying. And he goes, and it deserves full acceptance, and then in parentheses, and for this we are laboring and striving on and towards and for godliness. Um, and we've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially for those who believe, which is a confusing passage. He's like, he's the Savior of all men. Like, we're going to win all the games, especially the ones that we win, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he's the Savior of all men, especially for those who believe. And I like that verse because it's confusing. And it, 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 it's like, wait, what? What's, he's the Savior of all men? Yes, especially for those who believe. Um, there are places in Scripture that talk about him dividing and separating, and that few find it, and that some, and this and that, and then there's some other ones that go all, and they just land like a bomb. False teachings always come when you, when you go too hard down one line or the other. Our job is to take the whole, deal with it, understand it, and then in wisdom know how and when to apply what, where. So it's, so it's kind of cool. So all men... Only a few, 
we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We will see, actually. We will see. <laughs> Who knows how it's going to shake out. Um, 11. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in, and in purity. When I was in college, I had a shirt that had this pastor's scripture on it, and somebody took the words young and life, and they like made them the way that they edited it. It was like they were near each other, and then they highlighted it. It was like, oh, look, young life. That was back when you would like wear scriptures on your shirt, and it wasn't like terrible, which now it's hard. It's hard. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, um, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And that's the end of the chapter. But it was just a letter, so it just would keep going. But we're going to stop there. Okay, we're going to look at this little place that says, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is of little value, some value. Godliness has value in all things, holding promise, not only in this present life, but in the life to come. We're going to unpack that as best we can today. First thing, the word train. Train is a Greek word where we get our word for gymnasium. It's like gymnazo. It literally means, it literally means work out as hard as you can naked. That is literally what it means. Um, and we have, we have a brief um, like excerpt from a modern theologian who has something I think really compelling to say about this. So just give a listen in a second. A second. Just as a little intro. Independent. Athletic. 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 I've been sweating. Doing calisthenics. Booty vicious. Mind your business. I've been working. Working on my fitness. Got to cut it off there. Okay. Got to cut it off there. That's Lizzo who took the opportunity of COVID to work on her fitness, doing calisthenics, mind your business, getting athletic. That's just for you. That's just for you. There's no Greek there. That's all English. And so <laughs> Paul is using a word that carries a lot of meaning. You think about Greeks and, their, and, their, and the Olympics. The reason the word is work out naked is because they're literally saying, do not let anything get in your way, which... Okay, it's like, we are, we're doing this thing. Like, I want a few things in my way, like socks. <laughs> but they're like, nah, no, nothing in your way. Train that way to be godly. Naked workouts to get godly. Like, you can understand how confusing that is. They're like, okay. <laughs> Physical training. So what I said in the first service, like, it's like if you ship, but like, sometimes my life looks like this. I show up to a CrossFit class, and I go to the instructor, and I'm like, what's up, dude? You look good. It looks like you take care of yourself. That's good. Um, I go, listen, I know that the good work that you've begun, you're going to see to completion <laughs> in my life, and I am not about works, okay? I'm not striving. Nope. Um, I'm not earning anything here. No, the gospel is opposed to earning, but I'm going to be a human being. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be still. Mm. And I am a no. I'm a no you and this. But I don't want any kind of striving in my pursuit of what's going on here. Okay? I'm a man of Sabbath. Okay? How fit am I going to be in a year? Not fit at all. In fact, I will be hated by that workout class. And I will, and everyone, like, I sometimes treat my faith that way by leaning too hard on a few scriptures. I go, Jesus is going to do this thing. He's, it's, he's finished. He screamed it from the cross. It's finished. And uh, Sabbath is important. And I'm going to rest in Jesus. I'm, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek right now. Because there are times and seasons where, of course, the Lord comes to you. You're exhausted. You're exhausted. 
You've come out of a tradition of striving and performance, which you can see how if you lean too far into other scriptures, you would be right in there. Do, 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 do work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Which comes right after the one I just quoted. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. We have to hold and weigh both and in understanding and wisdom know how and when the Holy Spirit is prompting the application to my life. High tide, low tide. Rest, be spread out thin. Be collected back to me. Go. Come back and have breakfast. Think about that. Your hands get calloused when you use them a lot, and then they're, not, then they're not tender anymore. So you come away with the Lord and you soak them so that muscular hands can be gentle hands. That's the rhythm of Jesus. It's not just rest, just do nothing, and it's not it all depends on you. But there is agency and the invitation of come with me into your own formation process. There's a place in the scriptures where it says you haven't yet, you haven't yet um, shed your blood in your fight against sin. And the Lord in this past season has been speaking to me, have you even broken a sweat, Greg? Have you even broken a sweat in moving towards me, with me, at all? Or are you like some kind of like lame, wally person, like, like in the CrossFit class, and I'm like, <laughs> and I've been, he's been speaking to me, so that's what I'm going to speak to you about. But um, God, the word godly in the Greek is kind of a funky word, so we're going to unpack it. And luckily, what Jason read last week is like this perfect key to unlocking the word for us. But before we do that, so the word godly is like two words. It's basically well done or good job or good, and then the word reverence or um, piety or um, honor or something like that. So it's like good job worship or like well done reverence. A better way of thinking about it is it's someone's inner response to the things of God, which shows itself in how they live. Um, or it's a movement or a life from a godly or a good heart response. So that's great. But what Jason read last week is better. So here's what it is. If you go up just a scotch in your Bibles um, and you look at 1 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 16. Here's what he says. This is last week. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. Colon. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The number six, the number of man, the son of man. Jesus is the perfect mystery of godliness made flesh. So when he says, train yourself to be godly, he is saying, become like Christ on purpose. Or when he goes physical training, but godliness, being like Jesus, has value in all things. And so... As we, and we know that, that we know that. It's like, yeah, I know, Greg. I, whoa, whoa, I'm supposed to be like Jesus. I actually know that Christian means little Christ. I already knew that. Um, the problem is, if you're anything like me, um, I resist God. Because I think he's trying to rob me. I think that godliness is going to starve real living. And I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Um, I fall in love with things in my life that I think are life-giving or will give me life, and I hold on to them. And they might have been good for me in a, in a different season. But when he comes to me and he goes, come away with me, I hesitate. Because I don't want to let go of something. I don't want to have to sacrifice anything. I think that you're going to take that and I, and I have like this idea of him as a thief, not as a liberator. Um, I'm going to show a quick clip 
from a movie to illustrate what I think, what I'm trying to say, what I think you probably know and feel. Um, it's, a, it's a scene from The Hobbit, or I don't know which one it is. It's a scene from Lord of the Rings. Um, it's, it's an aged hobbit named Bilbo who has this ring that has been helpful to him in previous adventures and misadventures. There's a, there's a wizard named Gandalf who is going to invite him to be done with it because it is no longer good. Um, I want you to watch how he responds to Gandalf. And I want you to just sit and just see if the Lord pricks or prompts anything in you. Um, that you need to come away from or let go of. And you might feel a similar hesitancy or distrust. And I just want to talk about that after it's over. So here's the clip. Enjoy. Suppose you think that was terribly clever. Come on, Gandalf. Did you see their faces? There are many magic rings in this world, Bilbo Baggins, and none of them should be used lightly. If it's just a bit of fun. Oh, you're probably right, as usual. You will keep an eye on Frodo, won't you? Two eyes. Yes. As often as I can spare them. I'm leaving everything to him. What about this ring of you? Is that staying too? Yes, yes. Send an envelope over there on the mantelpiece. No. Wait, it's... here in my pocket. <laughs> isn't that... isn't that odd now? the ring behind, Is that so hard? Well, no. And yes. Now it comes to it. I don't feel like parting with it. It's mine. I found it. It came to me. There's no need to get angry. Well, if I'm angry, it's your fault. It's mine. It's been called that before, but not by you. What business is it of yours when I do with my own thing? I think you've had that ring quite long enough. You want it for yourself? Bravo, Baggins! Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I am not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. thought up an ending for my book. And he lived happily ever after, to the end of his days. And I'm sure you will, my dear friend. 
Goodbye, Gandalf. Goodbye, dear Bubba. I really like that clip. Um, he calls him by his name. He discloses for a moment who he's actually dealing with. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. I want to set you free. Um, <clears throat> and I love um, how sticky it is and how heavy it is. There are trifles, vices in life that we make much of. Um, and the Lord fiercely opposes everything in me and around me that keeps me from him. But he loves me. Whenever I study something, so if I study light, I also want to study darkness. If I study rescue, I want to study kidnapping or, or I want to study um, slavery. When I study godliness, I want to know what Scripture has to say about godless, godlessness. So I want to look at that for just a moment. Um, there, is, there is one place in Scripture that I know of where a writer goes, he was godless, and it's intense. And it's in Hebrews chapter 12, and I wanna, I'm going to read it to you. Um, of all the examples in Scripture that, that the writer could choose from, this feels like an interesting one. I'm going to start in verse 14. This is chapter 12, verse 14. Just listen. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. We work hard at that here. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Esau, I think it's Genesis 25 when this happens. You have Abraham, the promised son Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have twins, Jacob and Esau. We always say Jacob and Esau. They would have always said Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first. He came out of the womb first. He's the oldest. That's just the way it was. And back then, the oldest would get the lion's share of the inheritance. So if you had two sons, or if you had three sons, well, it doesn't matter. If you had two sons, a father would divide his inheritance into three. He has two sons, divide the inheritance into three. The oldest gets two shares. You get one. It was, a, it, was an, it was a position of honor and, and um, <clears throat> responsibility. Part of that was because when the father passed, that oldest son would become the one who is now responsible for stewarding that inheritance to take care of the entire family, not just himself. It was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. Well, Esau comes in from the fields after hunting, and he's hungry. He's famished. He's been out there doing, doing man stuff, shooting stuff and whatever. He comes in, and there's little Jacob, um, who kind of clings to his mom's uh, coattails, and he's like good at making pies and stuff. And he comes in, and Esau is hungry, and Jacob has made a delicious stew. And he goes, give me some of the stew. I'm starving. And Jacob goes, I will, this is, and this is just zero to a hundred. Like, you, like, this is like... I, I, used the, I used the reference earlier. I was like, this is like if you come in, you're thirsty, you're like, hey, let me have some lemonade. And they're like, let's go pink slips on this lemonade, which is like the title to your car. You're like, why would I do that? Like, why are you, what are you, what are you all about? Like, it feels like you want my car, like super bad. And you've been always thinking about that. And that just slipped out like in some kind of super weird way since all I want is lemonade right now. 
but it doesn't go that way. Esau's like, what good is my birth? He goes, so Jacob goes, I'll, I'll give you a, a bowl of soup for your birthright, which is, he's already getting one. He, he's like, I'm about to, I'm all in, bro, on this soup with you. <laughs> and Esau is godless. That's what this, this, his appetite in this moment, overriding the will of his father. Think about that. The writer of Hebrew goes, that is godlessness. Godliness, what matters to you matters to me, at cost to me. Godlessness, what matters to me matters to me. Screw you. I'm hungry. He eats, it's done. But he has a record of this because he didn't also wait for his parents to find him a wife because he was itching to get married. So he took some of those Canaanite broads into his house. Broad, I know broad is now like a loaded word. It didn't used to be, but like, I think it's like a loaded word now. Right, Macy? Yeah, she's giving me the head nod. He took some Canaanite ladies into his house, and they were like detestable to his parents. And he didn't really realize it until he watches his dad send a servant for his other brother to go get a wife. He had to wait for his father to provide it. Esau goes, I'll do it for myself. Godless. It's intense. The word godless is a Greek word that actually gets translated in some funny ways and from a funny source. It's a Greek word that um, gets translated as pagan, uh, or sorry, not pagan, profane, or worldly, or godless. What it means, though, is crossing a threshold. Godless means crossing a threshold. Think about that for a second. Think about that in reference to antiquity and what temple you might choose to be entering or whose house you might be going or coming from. Think about the threshold that was crossed when Adam and Eve took a bite. And the seal, the flaming sword that went up on the entrance, on the threshold of that garden. Think about the threshold that was crossed when Esau took the first sip of soup. And you begin to go, oh my gosh, there is a weightiness to my actions that flow out of my belief. And you can see how this begins to touch on the word obedience. Obedience, um, which, is, which I think is probably loaded. Because I oftentimes feel like obedience and freedom stand apart from each other. If I'm having to obey you all the time, how am I free? And I tell college guys in my small group, I go, show me a man in college who is going to, he goes, freedom. Like, fr I'm going to do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. Freedom. I go, check in with that guy three, four years later. I dare you to hold that course for three years. Do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, period. Some of us who are younger in the room are like, I would like to sign up in that class, and I would like to experiment with that trajectory. <laughs> like, I would like the means and the finances and the time to really run that out. And some, some others of us go, I know where that goes. Ruin. Ruin. There's a book called Ecclesiastes. A guy successfully ran that out. Um, and he writes about it in the book Ecclesiastes in your Bible. The reason that the commands of God or the invitations or the welcome or the dictates of God are not burdensome is because the fruit of them is a life, freedom, joy. The fruit of disobedience, or what matters to me, matters to me, is slavery, destruction, loneliness, and agonizing self-hatred. That's why they go, no contest, no contest. 
But does that mean if Jesus comes to you and you go, what must I do to have eternal life? And he goes, oh, la di da one more thing, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, then come and follow me. The 13th apostle, maybe, who walked away. And you can see how if you only had that passage of scripture, we would all feel like we need to sell all we have, and that's like the way to get into the kingdom. And the beauty of it is the Holy Spirit is the one who prompts and pricks us around how and when we ought to step with Christ. We always make much of the end. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman whose face is glowing when I'm under persecution and I'm forgiving them as they kill me, Stephen. And we want to make much of that, but that's the reason the Gospels are full of, in, of interruptions to Jesus' day is because it was not about the end. It was about the next step. The, a man or woman of God stepping in obedience with the Holy Spirit erodes the gates of hell. And if you want to experience Jesus, obey him. Think about John 21. Jesus has he's been resurrected from the grave. He's on a beach. The guys are out fishing. He's gonna and has been with them in a period of over 40 days. They've been with the resurrected Jesus. Boom, 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 boom. He's popping up all over the place. Go here, go to Galilee. Nope, come back up here. Now I'm ascending, all this kind of crazy stuff. Breakfast at Galilee. They've been fishing all night. They got their nets out on one side of the boat. Why does he tell them to do that again? Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy, I hate armchair fishermen. They haul it in. It's such a stupid, silly thing. Like when the karate kid goes to Mr. Miyagi and goes, I want to learn karate. And he goes, paint the fence, but do it like this. Up, down, up, down. Wax the car, but do it like this, this way. Then what happens when it's time for warfare? That boy had hardened his muscles in obedience in what he thought was trivial, but God was hardening something that mattered in him. That is always what happens in us when we obey. Ooh, can you feel that? I can feel that. I have some goosebumps right now. I can feel that. But anyway, what was I saying before Mr. Miyagi? Fishing. They throw the net on the other side of the boat. What does Jesus do? He speaks some kind of whisper command to the fish who have to give their lives. You know what we're talking about the fish? 153 of them into the net. It's the Lord. Recognition of who the Lord is in their life at that moment. Peter explodes out of the boat, swimming in, and gets a word about what his life is going to look like and is restored to ministry. You want to experience Jesus? Obey him. You want to know Jesus? Obey him. And I'm not talking about make up your own obediences. We know that the harsh treatment of the body can look holy, but it actually has no authority in, in liberating you from sin. It is not about be mean to yourself. It is about listen. Move. My belief bubbles up, and that's how I live. Have I checked my belief? Have I checked my life? Have I broken a sweat lately? And the Lord was speaking to me about this. And that's why I'm talking to you guys about this. Um, oh, look at this. i got to show you this thing on godlessness. This is the last one on godlessness. Then we're going to get back into it. Philippians. Um, Paul writing to the church in Philippi. We're talking about godlessness right now. We're studying the, the opposite. For as I have often told you before, and now I say this again, even with tears. So maybe he's dictating this letter, crying right now as he writes, as he says this. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Don't you think it's interesting he doesn't say many live as enemies of Jesus? They live in enmity with the cross of Christ which is the greatest moment of sacrificial obedience that the son could display. Think about the garden the night before. Father, if there's any other way. Any other way. Any other way. They live in enmity towards that way. 
Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Godlessness. What matters to me matters to me. Godliness. What matters to you matters to me at cost. Where does that come from, though? How does that come up out of us? We taste and see that he is good. How do we taste and see? One step. One step. Here's what I love about the word rule. Follow the rules. Rule. The word rule in Latin is the word trellis. What? I know. I had, if you didn't feel that just then, you are crazy. The word rule is the word trellis. Do you know what God wants to do with your life? He wants to drape blossoms and fruit over a structure that can hold it so that your life becomes like a fragrant arbor that whispers to everyone, come and see. Oh, man. Have you ever seen an arbor covered in ivy with honeysuckle all over it that you didn't want to go through and be like, what is up with this little secret nook? Think about the image of Scripture that the way to destruction is this wide path and narrow is the gate and few find it. Is Jesus the only gate? Yes. But is he the only um, welcome point? No. That path ought to be littered with arbors and trellises of fruiting vines flowering blossoms that put out in the midst of death the fragrance of life, and they quietly whisper, come and see. The church, the word church is the word ecclesia. It means called out ones. Called out from what? The world. To do what? To be made new. For what purpose? To be sent back in. To line that path, robbing hell any son or daughter that has made the mistake of continuing to blunder on like I used to. You want to experience God, obey him. You want to see him anew in your life, step towards him. The word godless is a crossing of a threshold. The invitation of godliness become a threshold. Become like Christ, on purpose, put it into practice, sweat it out a little bit, get naked, work out to be like Jesus. And it's like the Lord has refreshed that for me. He has refreshed that for me because in past seasons of my life, when I was operating out of restraint in obedience to him, I, it has been marked by me joining somebody in solidarity around a heavy prayer. My daughter has cancer. Would you pray with us? Uh, my brother, my brother's daughter, would you fast with me every Tuesday? Yes. They all ended in death. So for me, the response to Jesus was marked with like, nah. And in this Advent season, this little training window, I can feel myself again because he's healing me, rejoicing at the thought of, where can I meet you, Lord? Where can I mend or be healed in you by stepping with you? And I hope that you come away from this morning with something that you chose to record so you don't lose the record. That your life, like we all hope, would become, as we obey him, the perfect law that brings freedom. The perfect trellis that we were able to enter in through so that we Christians, little Christs, could be made like him and break up the darkness like stars in the heavens, break up the wall with little entry points of ivy and honeysuckle beckoning, come and see. Right? Okay, we're going to end it with a passage of scripture, Second Peter probably. Feels good, doesn't it, Jay? Second Peter? Okay. Love you so much. I'm probably, what time is it? Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. Okay, here we go. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. 
Do I have this? Oh, my gosh. Lila. Okay. Thanks, Ben. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. What? I'm, I'm in for that. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Yes, please. Thank you. Check here. For this very reason, make every effort. Now, there's that E word again. The gospel is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. Working out naked to become like Jesus on purpose. Okay. So make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge. Then throw on some self-control. How about we top it off with some perseverance? There, there's our word again. Godliness. Put on top of that brotherly kindness and love. For if, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. So, I want my life to be aligned with Christ so that I can support the abundant verdant, flowering, blossoming, blooming, fruiting goodness that he intends to lavish upon me. If I would just come, go, be. There are seasons where we're exhausted, stop. There are seasons where I've been sitting too long, get up. I don't know what he's speaking to you, but we are the called out ones, and we are to litter, litter the roadways of the world with arbors that say, come and see. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. Grace is dope, and your word is dope. Um, would you speak to us, Lord, in only the way that you can? You left your Holy Spirit with us to remind us of what you said and to lead us into all righteousness and to instruct us and prompt would you just wash over us and give us something to leave with that stirs in us wonder and enthusiasm and expectancy as we enter this Advent training season, checking our lives and our beliefs to make sure, Lord, I am ready and thrilled for your return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.